you have to stand for something. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's exactly, um, that, that always stuck with me and always stays with me. All right, guys, let's have some fun. Laurent, you ready? Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> All right, perfect. Ty, you ready? Why not? <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> timeout. Tyler, who are we taking a timeout with today? Kevin, thank you, man. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a superhero in the house, it looks like. We have Laurent Singletary. He's a candidate for U.S. Congress, New York 25th Congressional District. And Laurent, you've got a lot of titles. You have a lot of titles out there, man. And we're going to start off this off by saying thanks for being on the show, Time Out with Leaders. And if you had one superpower for the rest of today, what would it be? If I had one superpower for the rest of the day, it today. would be to uh, not be hungry anymore. Because <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> I'd be hungry. Oh, I could use some of that with my cholesterol spiking now. Just, just, to, just to conquer hunger. Yes. <laughs> conquer hunger. I like... I like I like that superpower. That's a good superpower. All right, Laron, we're trying. We're 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 driving in. Uh, we're, you and I and Tyler are headed to your favorite dinner spot, which is what in Rochester? Ooh, favorite dinner spot in Rochester? I would say it have to be uh, Pane Vino. Ooh, that's Pane up there Vino. for me. Italian. All right, so we're we're in the Cadillac. You know, we're in the Cadillac. We're driving to Pane Vino. And now we're listening to your number one hit song that you can listen to the rest of your life on repeat. What is it? I would say it would have to be Drake. What's next? Okay, there we go. We're, we're getting Ooh. a little crunk over here. All right. <laughs> I love Drake. <laughs> nice. And Laurent, I was going to ask you, man, uh, where do you get this energy from, man? As soon as we popped on this call, you, you were getting after it and you're hungry. <laughs> yes i tell you what it's just it's in my blood you know i go non-stop i'm up early you know uh, in the bed late it's just non-stop it's just part of who i am it's what i've been about you know when you run a police agency when you ran a police agency that's what it's about you know it's non-stop it's 24 7 love it man love it aka Laron is always on is basically what he wants us to know he is always on tyler and uh speaking of on You've got you've gone back and kind of gotten your criminal justice degree, your law enforcement administration, but then public administration. Do you want to kind of talk about your journey, your educational journey as to how you found your way into policing and now kind of setting your sights even bigger than just policing today? Sure. I always wanted to be a police officer ever since I was probably about six, seven, eight years old. My grandfather used to say I used to sit on the couch and watch the TV show Cops right? Watching the TV show Cops and say, granddad, I'm going to be one of those. And I always knew that I didn't want to sit behind a desk, sit behind a desk and, and do the same thing over and over again. You know, when you, talk, when you work with people, people are different, right? So <laughs> that's what it's about. It was about me wanting to do something different. Never had anybody in my family who was a police officer, but I tell you who inspired me to be a police officer was my fifth grade dare teacher, Officer Lucille Everett. I'll never forget her. You know, many of you may remember dare, drug abuse resistant yeah. education, but it was more about the relationship that the police officer had with each one of us as children. And I was struck, I was starstruck and just wanted to be a police officer, joined the Police Explorer program. And I uh, had an opportunity to go to John Marshall High School where I uh, entered the long magnetic government program. And then, uh, you know, after that, graduated from high school, went to MCC and had an opportunity to get ready to go to Brockport. But then 
the police department called. I took the test, was hired, and I said, you know what? I'll get on the job, go back to college, have the city pay for it. And that's where I tell kids today. You can get on a job, have the city pay for your education, retire in 20 years, get a check for the rest of your life. What? How great is that? Yeah. Sign me up, man. Yeah. Exactly, dude. And I'm going through your history here, man. And dang, dude, how how old were you when you were the, when you got in that in 2019 when you were awarded the chief of police title? Oh, I was uh, 39. God 39, the youngest chief. I yeah. bet, yeah. man. 39. Tell you were a little bit younger with that Drake reference, man. I'm like, dude, I'm like a Dre and Snoop. I'm like, who the heck is Drake even? You know, I know who Drake is, but you know, you're a '90s guy like me. Um, golly, and who was the first person you called, Laron, when when you heard that you were the the chief of police? Oh, oh my, probably my dad. My dad, yeah. my dad. You know, I, I tell you, it was my dad because you know I was never the athlete in the family. I played one year of high school football, uh, one, one year of football in high school. I was never the athlete. Uh, my brother was the athlete. So my brother, my dad brought my brother the baseball, football, basketball. I wanted to be a police officer. So what did my dad do? He bought me a police scanner from Radio Shack. And what did I do, right? Radio Shack, remember that? So what yeah. did I do? I used to take my radio police scanner on my side. I go on my bicycle, go to call the call, meet police officers. And that's what I did. And uh, so from there, you know, it was a dream. And my dad always uh, supported us, you know, through education as well as whatever we wanted to do. And uh, hey, who, who would have thought that I would have became the chief of police of the city that I grew up in? And how'd you differentiate yourself, man? Like, like I'm sure you had a lot of competition going for that chief spot. Like along your journey, like what, what on the day to day, how do you think you stuck out to the crowd? Well, I think you know, being homegrown, being from Rochester, knowing the issues, understanding what. You know, I think we needed at the time in, in a police department and just having that vision. You know, I think vision is so important. It's having that vision for, I think, what, where we wanted the, our police department to be um, at that particular point in time. You know, you have to know where you are at in the moment and you have to know where you want to be. You have to also know where you were in the past, right? And policing has a long history of, you know, good and bad. And But I think more than not, more often than not, you know, when people need the police, they're going to call 911, you know, regardless of how they feel, you know. So <laughs> we, we, we know that we're, uh, we have to get along with one another. You know, there's been talks about, you know, people wanting to defund the police, abolish the police, but, you know, we have to coexist. We have to live with one another, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you, and uh, that is certainly a soapbox that uh, Tyler and I would, would gladly get on with you and Justin and, and, and kind of just really, uh, I think it's um, fortunate or unfortunate, whatever way we look at it, is that um, the police are, are kind of, there's one bad apple and it kind of spoils the whole bunch is how you've shared it and Justin has shared it, is like, let's not let that be the determining factor on, on setting up future generations to di totally discredit policing or an opportunity for, for a career path. You said you knew when you were six or seven, so I, I guess I got to go back to that dare class you know that dare program what did you like about policing like what what did what did you see as the opportunity if you were given this chance right and then you were promoted as the police chief of the city that you grew up in what was that small vision or goal that you set at six or seven that blossomed and bloomed into what it is today I think it was knowing where I wanted to go and know knowing what I wanted to do I have so many friends in life who who told me that I wish I would have known what I wanted to do then 
that I could have stayed out of trouble or could have did this or could have went right versus left and took this path. You know, so, you know, I think people see the success where they want to go. And I think you have to know what you want to do. And if you know what I told kids today, if you don't know what you want to do, that's okay. You know, but, you know, try to just explore. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was about wanting to help people. It was about wanting to uh, do something different each and every day. As I grew older, obviously, and kind of understood more what a police officer was about. Because you see people on, you see TV show cops on TV, and you see police officers chasing people down and, and, you know, doing, catching a bad guy. And who didn't play cops and robbers as a kid, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I was always a cop, you know, I was always a cop. So, you know, it was always one of those things where, uh, I believed in just wanting to help people. And, you know, even when I was a, a young child, you know, when it came to sports, you know, I would always, you know, they would always get me to be the referee. So I don't know if it was just like a disciplinarian or authoritarian thing. <laughs> I don't know. You know, so who knows? But for me, it was just about always wanting to help people. And that's what it, what it was about for me and doing something different and making an impact in people's lives. And as I grew older, uh, it's always about meeting people where they were at and leaving them in a better place. I love that. And, and that's something that my mother told me, if you borrow something or you bar- take it from another person, you better leave it better than you found it. And I know that's kind of how probably you stepped into that role, right? Is like uh, coming into a city that, let's face it, Rochester has some ugly statistics. We have some ugly data. And Tyler and I are fighting every day to really get our business community to see their responsibility in this, right? Um, and to understand their impact and their influence that they can have, not only on their people that work within their walls of the organization, but also externally. Let's talk about kind of those first couple of days, because you can tell that you're passionate about people and leading people. I think you being just a police officer was probably not good enough for Laron Singletary. You know, you knew you could have a bigger impact by just being a leader of many. You, can you kind of take us through some of those first couple of days as you stepped into that role and, and to really build it how you wanted to build it. Yeah, I tell you what, you know, it's about, you know, finding out what the organization is about, you know, where the organization currently is, where it was and where you want to take the organization to. Um, And so you had to look at, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly of the organization. And I think one thing you have to do is look at the culture of the organization. And when I say culture, it's about, you know, who is the organization that you're trying to lead. What are they about? What do they stand for? Um, It's about identity. You know, everything has an identity. You know, we talk about in law enforcement, everything, every criminal or every person has a fingerprint, right? You leave a fingerprint on everything. And we all all know those leaders who come in and just want to leave a fingerprint on anything. They just want to touch something to put their legacy on the organization, but doesn't really mean anything, you know? So uh, for me, it was about how can I make the department more community oriented. And that's exactly what we did. We created the Community Affairs Bureau. I looked at the Washington DC Metropolitan Police Department. I looked at the um, New York City Police Department, NYPD. And we brought factions that were um, interfacing with the community and brought them under one umbrella. I asked the mayor for a deputy chief position and a captain position. And we got those positions. And we basically created an entity within the organization that touched the community. We gave the community an opportunity to say, okay, this is how I want to be policed. This is this is what we want to do. And we went out there to just really um, engage the community. And, and I'm happy to say that it's still alive and well today in the department. Dude, so that cool. is awesome, man. I so mean, why cool. not look at someone doing it right, you know, and kind of adopt their ways, you know, and then kind of, you know, you know, just use your surroundings, you know, and, and with the with our internet now and everything we have accessible to you, you can, you know, when I was a kid, I would have died 
to, to hear my sports figures, you know, like, like talk on the sideline, you know, I had to wait for NFL films every year to come out with that one little reel, you know, and now people have that TikTok stuff and they hear their favorite players talk all day long, you know, it just, it just blows my mind how much technology has changed the game. Now okay. we can adapt from people that are better than us, maybe at the time being. And LeBron, I was going to dive into this candidate of U.S. Congress, man. Will you will you just school us a little bit on what's going on there? What does that even? How do you even do that? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, if you would have asked me a year ago or two years ago, would I be running for one of the highest elected offices in the land? Never, never would I have even thought. But you know, here's an opportunity for me to to impact people in a greater capacity than I was as police chief. You know, as police chief, you can only do so much. You know, you, you work for a mayor, you you work for a municipality, but you know, when you're a congressman, you can actually use a congressman office as a bully pulpit. You can actually use um, the, the congressional office to to bring resources to a community. A lot of people have hope already, but they just need some sort of opportunity to expound upon hope, to do better in life, and they need somebody who is going to be able to represent them um, in a fashion that, that's going to cater to the needs, or cater to the needs of the community. So for me, when I was approached to um, run for Congress, you know, obviously what happens to me in the city of Rochester, there's politics at play. Um, and then people say, you know what, I think you still have a lot more to give. You know, I think you still have a lot more to offer this community. Um, and a lot of people didn't want me to leave Rochester. I was thinking about maybe possibly moving down south after I retired to a warmer climate. And you know, Rochester is very cold. Um, so I had an opportunity to say, you know what, let me think about this. Okay, you know, I was always interested in politics, but never really, you know, thought about it at the time. I was, I was, I was happy being police chief of the city of Rochester or wherever I was going to end up being police chief after Rochester. But then an opportunity came for me to run for Congress. And I said, you know what? Yeah, this is a greater opportunity to impact my community. When one door closes, another one opens up. And I believe in faith and I believe in faith. And uh, on September 8, 2020, when I decided to retire from the Rochester Police Department, I had reached the pinnacle of my career. And uh, I said, you know what, you know, based on the circumstances that were at play, I decided to move on. I didn't know what was next, but again, I believe in faith. When one door closes, another one opens. And this was an opportunity to me, for me to impact my community uh, in a greater capacity. And I had a lot of people support me and say, you know what, I think you should take a run at Congress. You know, you can have the potential to uh, create a lot of change and be um, a role model for many people in the community who look like you and many people in the community who don't look like you. You know, as police chief, you were very inspirational and hopeful to many people who worked within the department and people who uh, just lived in our community came to work and play. So, you know, I, I said, you know what? Sometimes when God orders our steps, no man can uh, change those uh, the, those steps. So I, I think it's an opportunity for me to, to, to do great and bountiful things. I have, I have, I have all the faith and the confidence in the world uh, in, in that you're going to pull that off because I think you just have this ability to, uh, you really don't have that what's in it for me mentality, you know, and I think when you lead with that, and that's like one of your fundamental principles as, as a leader, uh, you can't help but uh, say that you're, you're, you're not going to listen, you're not going to learn and then communicate the why, the how, right, effectively with the community. So we earn a greater understanding of how politics work. You're going from policing into politics, probably two of the most assumed assumptions made, um, potentially, I hate to use the word hate, but some, some people hate politics and they hate police, right? And, and here you are finding these bridges, these opportunities, you know, to, to build understanding and awareness first 
to then kind of get back to, okay, this is the past, this is the present, and this is where we want to go. But let's talk about the past. Let's talk about where we are today and how we get to where we want to be. And I love that about you. Um, one of the things that I noticed too, is that you, you're, you're a man of your word, right? Um, and your character. Um, a lot of times in business and politics, there are certain times that come up where our character or integrity is challenged. Um, what would you say as leaders, and maybe what you'll do as the next leader in that 25th congressional seat, um, to really, I guess, stand up to unpopular opinions when you know that that's the best thing or the right thing to do? Absolutely. I think there, I think there are times where we must stand up for what we believe are our convictions. And sometimes there are things that we are not going to ever waver on. But like you said, there are going to be times where people need to be heard. You'll, we can always be heard. We may not always agree, but we can sit down at a table, come to some sort of consensus, and then at least walk away with some sort of understanding. Who knows? We sit down, maybe we can, uh, maybe you can sway me, you know, to, to come to your side of the field. But if we stay on opposite sides of the football field and never come to, you know, the middle 50-yard line and toss a coin and see who gets the opportunity to go first, um, you know, we can have debates, we can have discussions, but if we stay on a sideline, nothing's going to ever happen. You know, I, I equate it back to instances when we have turmoil in our community where we try to invite people to come to the table and some people just didn't want to come to the table and have a conversation and nothing ever is going to be solved in that light. So as a congressman, this is where I say that I think as a representative, as a leader, you can use the office as a bully pulpit to bring leaders together or to call leaders out if need be mm -hmm. if they're not doing their job. And you can't be afraid to call people out, um, particularly when it comes to public safety. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to get into this race. You know, we had um, our city have one of 17 cities at the time last year that broke homicide records. I mean, Little Old Rochester, uh, 81 homicides. Those are numbers that we have never seen before. And it should be breathtaking. It should be shocking to many people. And, and somebody's got to call light to that because in order to solve a problem, you have to recognize that there is a problem, mm -hmm. no matter what you're doing. And I think there were too many people who just did not um, bring light to the issue when you have people who are being shot and dying in our streets. And for me, it's personal because typically those individuals were black and brown people, people who look like me. And so I think I can represent the needs of this community, growing up in this community, being a graduate from city schools in this community, and working in law enforcement in this community. I love what you said, Kevin, about bridging the gaps between pol politics and policing, two, two things that people typically love to hate. And here I am, uh, getting ready to embark possibly on both, I'm going to have to use that. So if you hear that again, Kevin, don't, 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 don't charge me for that line. So, I mean, here I am about to embark on two entities that I've kind of like, you know, done well as a police chief, I, I, if I say it myself, myself, and also as a politician, um, get ready to embark on that. Some people say being a police chief is a politician because you work for a politician. You know, I always say the best job in the world is a sheriff because he's elected, right? He answers yeah. to the people. And just like politicians, he answers to the people. So I think politicians should be able to um, definitely answer to the people and people should be able to call them out when they're not doing their job. Mm. I love that. I love My that. Goodness, Lorraine, I don't see you failing at anything, man. Oh. Like, 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 I'm on board, man. You, you tell me where to vote. You tell me where to be. I'll be there. Oh, Tyler, um, I love your energy. I love your energy, Tyler. Dude, I, I likewise, buddy. Like I'm sitting here, like, oh yeah, man. I'm like hitting <laughs> over here a little bit, you know. Um, it's what 12:25 Central Time, just in my little office, sweating, you know, because Laron's got me going. Uh, can you kind of dive in a little bit on this FBI stuff? I was scrolling through your 
through your page here and I see an FBI National Executive Institute session 43. Can you can you let Kevin and I know what's up with that? Yeah, yeah. So I had an opportunity to attend uh, FBI National Executive Session 43, which is the second tier of the FBI National Academy, which I attended in 2016. So they, they pick about 200, like every session, they have like four sessions a year. They pick about 200 individuals from law enforcement executives from around the world. And you have an opportunity to go down to Quantico, Virginia for three months and just learn from each other, learn about what the, what's going on around the world, um, as far as latest trends and things that are going on in law enforcement. And I tell you what, I still have connections and contacts. We're on WhatsApp and we talk about things about life or those who are still in the profession. And it's, it's basically a big networking thing. You know, you talk about networking, no matter what you do in life, you know, you have individuals that you can relate to or run things by, um, you know, whether it's in politics or in law enforcement, networking is huge. And I tell young kids that all the time, you know, sometimes it's not about what you know, it's, it's who you know. Um, and, and that's so important. So we had an opportunity to go out here for three months, break bread. You know, I mean, it was like a hotel, three meals a day. Um, and and you, you hear from some of the greatest people, the FBI director, some of the greatest uh, talent in the country around the world about just things that are going on in law enforcement and how it can help you better your organization or just better you as a person. I think no matter what we do in life, you know, everything you take from it, whether it's professional or personal, should always impact you personally. You know, you should be able to take something from everything. And I, I think stepping outside and maybe caring about uh, like you, you obviously display daily, uh, maybe hourly or by the minute what you can do for others, you know, and I think that that uh, gleans through and all the conversations and even the questions that we ask where we're meeting someone new, right, is what types of questions do we typically ask if we're genuinely interested in them and their response, right? And I think the three of us here is, is probably what's helped us to connect with some people on an energy level, on a, on a deeper level. And that's kind of what I wanted to circle back to, um, Laurent, if I could, is the importance of trust and establishing trust. And, and we joked about it with the politics and the policing that there's really, that is what it is. There's been a deterioration of trust. How do we rebuild that? And how have you found, I guess, in your roles, going back into just stepping into the, the role for the city of Rochester, how did you establish trust to create those safe spaces where people did feel safe to share with you and, and, and really open up maybe some of those existing wounds to, to, to reopen them, to, to fix them and rebuild? Yeah, well, I think the first thing about trust is you have to establish a relationship. You know, uh, without, without any type of relationship happening, trust won't come. Uh, so there has to be a relationship, whether you're meeting with somebody, you're building up to that level where you can trust somebody, because trust is not just instantaneous. I mean, I think we like to give people the benefit of doubt until they prove us wrong. And I think even the, 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 the good in us and the most good, the best people on earth want to do that until they're betrayed. Uh, so, so I think that one of the things that we have to do is we have to build relationships. And part of building relationships is making sure that we maintain contact with one another. Um, and you have to mimic and model behavior that I think people will get to, 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 to know um, about who you really are. And I think you just can't look at people for who they are on the exterior. You have to really get down into their heart. You know, and I think you do that by engaging with people um, and, and looking at their actions. You know, first, you know, we can talk the talk, but how many people will actually walk the walk and, and actually carry 
through and follow through, you know, carry out and follow through. So I think those are most important things. So it's about building the relationship first and making sure that you have a good um, strategy in place and set goals um, and, and a vision for people. You know, we used to always talk about purpose, um, direction, and motivation. You know, purpose, direction, and motivation. And I think you, you can lay those three things out. Uh, people will follow you to the end of the earth. Um, mm-hmm. Cole Powell was one of my greatest leaders that I always followed. And, uh, you know, he, he made a comment, something similar to that fashion, that, you know, if you're one of the greatest leaders and if you can build trust, you know, people will follow you into the darkest cave, into the darkest night. And, I mean, he, he was just amazing. <laughs> Love that. And you kind of hit on the word action, Laron, you know, and, and how, how do you um, go from words to action, you know, like to actually get out there and do it? I mean, I, I just smell a bunch of courage and faith in you, you know, um, and, and all these levels you kept leveling up over and over and over and over again. Um, and that's action right there. If you ask me, just check your resume. looks like it's doing the force, but a square dance, right? here. It just doesn't stop moving. Um, can you kind of hit on action and how important that is um, as opposed to just all talk? Yeah, I think you have to uh, be able to show people what you're about. You know, like I said earlier, you know, some people talk to talk about who really walks the walk. And as a leader, one thing that I never did was ask people to do anything that I was not willing to do myself. And as a police chief, you know, people figure that you sit behind a desk all day, but I was always out there on the street, walking in neighborhoods, letting people see me, touch me, feel me, you know, like, oh, our, our police chief is real. Our police chief is out here on the street. And um, that's one thing about me. People have my cell phone number so they can touch me, feel me. I think I was one of the most successful police chiefs probably in the history of the Rochester Police Department, as I've been told. You know, so I didn't just sit behind a desk. The police officers saw me, the community saw me. And, you know, when you're talking to new recruits in the academy for the first time and they see you as a police chief, in their mind, you were never a police officer. You were always a police chief. So you don't know anything about being a police officer. And so sometimes you have to remind them. Sometimes you have to go out there and you have to chase down a bad guy and jump over a fence and say, you know what? Yeah, I used to be a cop too, you know? And so what greater opportunity to show and then a young recruit that hey our police chief is out here doing it that gives them motivation and courage i mean you talk about president Zelensky over in ukraine right now i mean president of a country who's under attack who's out there who takes a suit off and dons a a military outfit and is out there with the troops with his life on a line and his citizens are being killed you know i mean talk about leadership i mean that guy right now somebody said today that that guy should be given the noble award <laughs> for like the next five years. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable what he's going through and the leadership he's displaying right now. Golly, man, you nailed that on the head, Laron. I mean, how simple too, right? Just go do it in front of folks. Just go do and, it. You know, I was watching The Last Dance a couple nights ago and that's exactly what MJ said. You know, he said, I didn't ask anybody to do what I didn't do, you know? And, and it just goes so far, man. Um, I don't know, man. You're something special, Leron. I'm excited. What, what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Uh, somebody, a legacy of service, a legacy of service, you know, service to others, you know, um, selfless, you know, somebody who was just always trying to meet people where they are, because I think that's so important today, particularly when you talk about what people are going through. You know, people are living in some of the uh, most strenuous times that I think we've ever seen right now. When you talk about uh, economics, you know, inflation is crushing people right now. People have to make tough decisions to um, put food on the table or fill up their gas tanks. 
I mean, the, the, the amount of gas we're paying, the amount of food prices we're paying. I mean, this is something that people have never seen before, particularly those who are on a fixed income. So people just want to know, is somebody listening to me? People just want to be heard. You know, I mean, right now, I think one of the reasons why I'm running for Congress is I think sometimes there, there is a disconnect between Washington and people on Main Street. And right now, people are feeling it right now. And I think there's going to be a sea change this November because People just want to be heard. And I think that's all throughout my leadership level, sergeant, lieutenant, captain, deputy chief, um, to chief of police, that people just want to be heard, whether they're working for you or they're in a community. And they want to know that, you know, you can be touched as a leader, you know, so, you know, leaders have to be present. Absolutely, man. I think it makes people feel special when they're heard, right? And, and you know, you, you have a bunch of people feeling a little empowered, you know, I think we're, we're due to to make the right decision even more and more and, and to pass it on, you know, because someone heard us. Now we're having the younger generation being heard again, you know, and a man of service, dude, where'd you get that from? I mean, I feel like that was just smammed into you as a little kid. Well, how did you, how did you come around that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was just uh, ingrained. You know, I think family foundation is, is key. They're talking about family values and the way I was treated, you know, we, we, we didn't grow up seeing color. We didn't grow up seeing, you know, somebody was black or white. We grew up seeing somebody as an individual person and the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. And I'm a big person that believes in karma. So I never want to be, treat anybody who, 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 who treats me, you never want to treat anybody bad because we all have to meet our maker one day and we all have to account for that. So, I mean, it's, it's simple. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Good gravy, man. You're on fire, Leron. And you're and you're hungry. What's for lunch today? Oh, uh, you know what? I tell you what. It's a, I, I don't even know because <laughs> if it's not in the calendar to eat, I probably don't eat. You know what I'm saying? It's got to be in the calendar because you just go, 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 you know? And so your body says, all right. It's time, it's time to eat or I'm going to shut, shut you down because my, my aunt always tells me your body will talk to you. Your body will let you know <laughs> Okay, when you pass out or you start getting stomach cramps. Listen to your body. Stay hydrated. Man. Yeah, that, that coffee plays a trick on me. You know, I'll drink some coffee. I'll be like, oh, honey, I'm good. I don't need lunch. And for like I'm cranky, man, or I'm passing out or you name it, man. But, uh, dude, it's been awesome. It looks like Kevin's having some trouble down there. He's going all over the house trying to get some reception. Oh, so we'll, we'll just, we'll just yeah, keep it rolling. Yeah, yeah. I'm still on dial-up, fellas. I, I don't know what's <laughs> going on over here, so I apologize. I thought it was 2022, but I'm back in the 90s listening to uh, Tupac and Dre, apparently. Here, bits and pieces, but uh, one of the things I wanted, I know you talked about action. You talked about people just want to be listened to, valued, and heard. Um, how do you plan to do that and open up those lines of communication? Because you did it at the police when you were at the head of police at Rochester. You opened up those community policing opportunities so they could share their voice and connect. Um, how do you plan on doing that with your seat in the 25th district? Uh, town halls. You know, you got to have town halls. You got to touch people. And you can't just walk doors during election cycles. You have to walk doors every day, uh, every week. You know, and that's what I plan to do. You know, sometimes we see politicians only come around when they're campaigning and campaigning is every day. If you're a good politician, you know, I don't like to consider myself a politician. I'm a person who is a public servant, who believes in public service, who believes in the people. You know, 
you know, and, and that's what it's about. I'm a public servant who cares about public service, who cares about you, the people. And that's what I've been telling people. You know, I'm not a career politician. I'm not part of the establishment. I'm a person you can sit down and have a cup of coffee with or have a beverage with at a local bar, you know, and it's about being able to communicate with people. And again, I say, I say this over and over again, because it's so important. It's about meeting people where they are and talking to people about the issues um, uh, as to where they're at in that particular moment, because we do so much talking around issues and talking around each other that nobody wants to talk to each other anymore. There's a saying that says, don't walk me around the corner, walk me down the street. You know, people sometimes don't want to want you to see what's directly in front of you. But I think this election season, people were being told something that they're not seeing with their own eyes and they're starting to see for themselves. I think they're starting to wake up. And, and I think that that's why we're going to see a big sea change, I think, this November. Um, when you said uh, people avert those kinds of conversations and those those kind of discussions, you talked about 81 murders last year in Rochester. Um, we talked about the social influence of, of obviously social media and kind of this interconnected world that we're living in. Have you seen a deterioration in the ability for people to have these conflicting conversations or challenging conversations? You know, it was where you, like you said, you gave the analogy of meeting in the middle to flip the coin in the middle of the field of, of just who starts. But it takes the willingness to get to the 10 yard line, to the 20 yard line, to the 30, to the 40, to the 50. Um, how, do, how, do we, how do we kind of rebuild some of these things that we took for granted, I guess, with previous generations on these, yeah, think, uh, how to have critical yeah. conversations? Yes, very good. Very critical conversations. Absolutely. I think the first thing we have to do, I call it three R's. We have to respect one another. We have to respect one another first. You have to be able to respect your colleagues, respect whoever it is that you're talking to, that you're going to have opposing views. Then you have to reason with people. You have to sit down and actually listen to people, not just listen to respond and wait till they get done talking so you can say the next thing that comes out of your mouth because you're not listening to what they're actually saying. You have to sit down and actually listen to people and comprehend and make sure that leaves their lips to your to, to your ears, to your brain, and be able to conceptualize what they're actually saying. And then, then and only then can you get to the third R, which is bringing back some sort of results or some sort of compromise. And people don't like use the word compromise, but I don't think there's nothing wrong with using compromise, you know, because compromise is just coming to some sort of middle ground, some sort of agreement. So it's, it's being able to respect one another, reason with one another, and then bringing back results for the people or results for the issue at hand you're trying to to deal with at that particular point in time. So, I mean, you talk about today with the younger generation and sometimes even with, you know, people my age, um, you know, we're so technology uh, driven and that one of the things that we always had trouble with some of the recruits who are uh, millennials and, and that basically that they were so technology, technology driven that they forget how to communicate one-on-one -on -one with people. And that was one of the biggest complaints that we ever got in the police department from supervisors. Well, the officer didn't take the time to explain to me what was going on. It's like, if the officer had taken one more minute to just sit down and explain or taking the time to explain, maybe the sergeant wouldn't have got a complaint. You know, you're right on, Loretta. I have I've had some similar experiences with the, the technology gap there, and the communication gap, though, I should say, um, with the younger <laughs> generation. You know, I, I do recruiting. You know, so I I pump up kid, guys, uh, I prep them for interviews, and and some of the feedback I get um is I forget. You know, I'm I'm in the I'm a '90s guy. I talk to people. You know, that's what I do. Interviews, sweet. Have at it. You know, and then I see some people just get all flustered, and I hear the feedback. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I gotta remember. You know, it's not our generation. It's a whole different ballgame um, when it comes to communicating. And 
And on the other day, man, I got asked who my role model was. And man, if I knew you at the time, I would have just said Laurent Singleton. Oh, wow. You know, but, but uh, you know, in that given sense, you know, um, I wanted to ask you some of, who are some of your role models out there besides Colin Powell? You already nailed on him and absolutely, how can you not be a Colin Powell as a role model? But who are a few of yours, Laurent? Well, I'd, I'd say my dad. My dad is definitely one of my role models growing up. Always taught us the ability to be disciplined. Always taught us the ability to teach, uh, treat people the way um we wanted to be treated and always look out for others particularly family um you know it, it, i think if i was had to mention somebody else's role model obviously um you know other family members but outside there were some people who were in the professional ranks of law enforcement one of my uh, mentors is uh, a sergeant who retired from the police department by the name of herb everson took me under his wing when i was a young person showed me the ropes um in the police explorer program um, Herb Everson, Darling and Rogers. There's just so many. And that's what I tell young people today is that find somebody who you can link your, um, you know, your, 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 your carriage to and, and basically get information from them to try to propel you to the next career path that you want to do. Absolutely. Why not find someone better than you even at what you're doing and, and link it like, kind of like Kobe did to MJ, exactly. you know, and, no, I was just I was just catching up. I heard I heard what you were saying with Kobe and uh, and uh, and I think Laron, you you kind of talked about that right at the beginning of the the interview, where you kind of shared like you wanted to go out to some of the other policing uh, outfits throughout the entire country to to learn and share best practices, and and that's what I think is uh, a lot of the challenges in leadership and a lot of the things that we look to do is that the breakdown of communication is a bounty, um, and you know, like you said, is that it takes respect first. Um, to actually listen, I think, to what the other person is saying and not just uh, adding our own context. And I think what I've found is that people are going to fill in those blanks if you're unwilling to fill in those blanks for them or explain that to them. Um, one of the things I wanted to go back to and kind of just your development is, is understanding what was one lesson that you absolutely had to learn early on in your career in leadership that, that was a hard lesson to learn, but one of the lessons that you needed to learn early on in that, that uh, development. I think one of the things that I had to learn is trust but verify. Um, I, I think that's so important, no matter what you're talking about, no matter what you're doing, no matter who you're dealing with. You know, and, and trust but verify is not a negative thing. It could be a good thing as well. Um, I think one of the things that we must do is, you know, just be able to trust people, but also verify at the same time. You know, people are gonna always tell you, oh, this person's that, that person's this, but sometimes we have to see for ourselves as to who the person really is because people may have underlying issues. And then sometimes trust but verify can be negative as well. You know, you may trust somebody who may stab you in the back, you know? So I think we have to be um, very careful as to um, how we tread in life, you know, I always like that tread, that uh, saying, don't tread on me and tired. Um, but uh, I think, uh, I think it's so true. You have to be very careful. You know, we don't want to be paranoid when we, when we walk around, but we definitely have to trust, but verify today, particularly in today's uh, environment. But uh, again, we don't want to be paranoid, but trust, but verify, I would say. That's such a such a such a great line, and uh, I, I love that because I think it's uh, we will assume less, right? Uh, and, and I think that just if we look at assumptions, it's just our natural instinct to try to conserve energy and make decisions um, as we constantly fight that fight or flight response. Um, 
one of the things that I, I again to, to not harp on but to go back to is is understanding the importance of doing what you say and say what you do and i know you've mentioned the action side of things um in all of leadership it takes us to kind of step outside of our comfort zone and get comfortable with change and this is a this is a typical conversation that tyler and i love to have how do you get yourself comfortable with change and, and always needing um, to, I guess, challenge the status quo and understanding where we are today is not going to be what gets us to where we need to be tomorrow? Yeah, wow, that, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think one of the things that I do is just, you know, you can't be afraid. You can't be afraid. There is no crazy question, silly question. And I think if your question is coming from the heart and you're really trying to understand the intent behind something, um, I don't think there ever is a, a silly question. I hate to call it a stupid question, but I don't think there ever is a silly question. And I think we can't be afraid to step out on a limb because if we truly don't understand something, we need to be able to um, question it. We need to be able to question a leader if uh, they truly believe or, or if we don't believe something that they're saying. Now, as a leader, one of the things I always learned was to be the last one to speak in the room. Um, and I learned that early on. Because as a leader, especially in paramilitary organization, as a chief of police, when you speak before everyone else, is, else does, people, it's almost that groupthink mentality. People will jump onto your bandwagon because you are the leader because they may not want to disappoint you. Um, but I think I always had a good command staff. I always had leaders around me, no matter what position I held, that they felt open enough to speak freely about whatever issue or topic was and felt comfortable enough to give me their opinion on that issue. Um, so, you know, it, whether I spoke first or last, um, I don't think it really made a difference. But later on in my career, particularly when I reached the chief of police position, I learned to speak last uh, because uh, sometimes your speaking can uh, set the tone for how people respond to certain issues that you may be dealing with. Well, you're also eating last because you're not hungry anymore either. So that's perfect. <laughs> leaders. Oh, hey, leaders eat last, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure there's a title out there or some book. Yes, <laughs> leaders eat last, right? Leaders eat last. Dang. <laughs> well, Loretta, I wanted to ask you, man, um, you've had just so much success, man, going from just climbing this ladder here, just hitting the, just grinding it out probably too, man. And with an awesome attitude all at the same time. Um, and how many achievements you've got already, man. How do you not rely on yesterday's success? Like, how do you not sit back and look at the past and chalk it up? You know, because you're not done, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, you know, I tell you what, what I've been through the last year and a half with the issue that happened to me, September 8, 2020, um, and me deciding to step away from the police department, I didn't know what was next. But again, I'm a person that believes in faith and fate. Uh, with family, friends, and, and, and faith, I believe we can get through anything, you know, and that's exactly what I've had throughout the last year and a half. Some people say you went from chief of police to probably potentially what could have been the lowest point in your career. And now you're bouncing back to run for one of the highest elected offices in the land. And I think a lot of that has to do with how we are built, how we are made, how we're brought up and what's inside of us. You know, I tell people all the time, I used to tell recruits this when I was a chief of police and I stood before them on their first day. I said, we all have intelligence, uh, but what many of us lack is judgment. You know, judgment is what will get you fired. You know, so we all have varying levels of intelligence and skills, but it is judgment is that is what will get you fired. It's, it's the decisions that we make and the ability to process information 
um, whether it's a year from now or six months from now or tomorrow, that will be able to put us in a place to make a good decision. And I think judgment is so important. We all have intelligence, varying levels, but some people just don't have good judgment. And I, I think that uh, judgment is what sets you apart in life. Judgment is what will make you go right or left. I mean, judgment is so key. And I think not many people too much put too much emphasis on the term judgment. Uh, judgment and emotional intelligence is just two important things. that I think leadership is what it is about and leaders must know because how you affect um, other people, how you say things, you have to be able to have that emotional intelligence to understand that what I just said, how it affects one person and also my even just facial expressions, you know, as a leader, you have to be careful. And, and that's one of the things that I'm so bad at is that, you know, I, I talk with my hands and also I speak with uh, facial expressions as well. So people can say things to me and I'm like, and, and, and my, my face will give it away. And I, I have to be careful with that. <laughs> I feel you there being Italian. We're always talking with our hands, man. It's, it's, that's, how I, uh, that's how we lose uh, some calories or weight during the day. Uh, <laughs> better storytelling we want to draw people in you know uh i just wanted to say first thank you uh laron for uh standing up being courageous um and really sticking to your morals your vision your values um and and probably relying on your faith and and and, and like you said your 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 friends and family around that faith you know and, and and having that foresight not knowing what's coming but no god had a plan or your friends and family had a plan and i'm so happy that you listened to the community because you were one of those shining stars in downtown rochester you know um, we need more of action like that um, and to see how that whole thing played out last september was or in september 2020 um, was just sad, um, you know, but I just wanted to say thank you for your courage for standing up in the kind of that face of darkness, you know, um, where it would have been easy just to do what they, you were told to do, you know, um, but thank you for not doing that and, and really sticking to your guns and sticking to your morals. And I think that's going to help you propel not only in this 25th congressional seat here in New York State, but um, beyond. Uh, I think there's massive, massive things for you ahead. And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to call you a friend now. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I'll, I'll leave you with this. My grandmother always said that, uh, you know, if, if you have to stand for something, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's exactly, um, that, that always stuck with me and always stays with me. So you got to stand for something. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Love that. Hell yeah. We need less sheep in this world, Laurent. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Golly.